This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 123 for July 2018, with Ryan Habana on the prophetic fulfillment of Yom Kippur. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 123 for July 2018 with Ryan Habana. Ryan is pastor of Conquering King Fellowship Church in Egan, Minnesota, and director of the Mount Moriah Foundation. He returns for his 14th episode with Echo Zoe Radio to talk about the prophetic pattern of the Levitical feasts and to specifically examine the future fulfillment of Yom Kippur. As with any episode, you can get show notes for this one at the website. Every month I put together a bullet-pointed outline of the discussion, a list of scriptures that we reference during the show for your own deeper study, and when appropriate, lists of additional resources on the subject and related episodes from the Echo Zoe radio archives. You can find show notes for this episode at echozoe.com slash 123. And with that, here's my discussion with Ryan. Ryan Habana, you're back again for, I don't know, you got to be up to about a dozen episodes with me now? Yeah, I'm on your payroll. <laughs> Just about, yeah. <laughs> you get paid as much as I do. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's good to be back. <laughs> so, I was looking at the the calendar and I, I realized it's, uh, aside from putting you in the, the clip show that I did as a 10th anniversary, uh, it's been a year since we did a show together and... What was our last one? Do you remember? I'm putting you on the spot. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to look that up. Um, what was it? Appearances of the... Was it appearances? Of course, the internet's slow, and I want to look it up. Appearances in the Old Testament? That might have been it. I know. I think we did a show on that. Uh, July. Old Covenant versus New oh, Covenant. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. July of 2017. Well, so, actually, some of the dynamics... Obviously, those are macro... Uh, macro topics, but some of the dynamics of uh, Old Covenant and New Covenant are actually going to be at play in what we are looking at uh, in the subject today. Well, you, uh, you tend to have, um, you get a little bit more in depth and have a little bit more fun with the Old Testament than a lot of, uh, a lot of us. <laughs> well, the, uh, one of the things that uh, I've that's something I, I really appreciate, by the way, because well, it's, it's a hap- it's a very happy discovery because the uh, you know I, I I ended up in in seminary I uh, I, I uh, my focus was New Testament and mm-hmm. um and so I in seminary I got just heavy heavy doses of the New Testament. Um, and obviously the New Testament is, 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 you know, unmatched in importance, but the Old Testament. It's easy though. Yes. That's where our, that's where we see the fulfillment of our savior. Yeah. And it's so easy to to focus on it. Right. And the Old Testament is so rich. The law and the prophets are Mm -hmm. so rich and you, you can't understand the New Testament apart from 
the law and the prophets. And so, you know, of course, we've always, you know, and I even beyond just giving lip service, but we always understand all scriptures God breathed. And, you know, as believers in the, in, in Christ and in the word, we, we certainly understand the importance of the old Testament, but functionally, oftentimes it gets neglected. It dies mm-hmm. a death of neglect. And there, um, that's one of the reasons why I love treading, um, in the old Testament, because there's so many paths that so many believers don't even know about. And, and our, you know, myself included, there are, are new discoveries, uh, waiting in so many books and, and that's throughout the whole Bible, of course, but, mm-hmm. but because the old, old Testament has, has been so neglected, um, by Christians in a, in a, in a lot of spheres, um, I, I love seeing the, uh, the macro, um, the powerful macro story of the Bible. And mm-hmm. you can't get that apart from the Old Testament. Yeah. Well, I've just been thinking recently, um, our pastor is uh, kind of wrapping up Romans after three years of, of Romans. And uh, and I don't know what he's got planned after Romans, but I want to, I, I was just thinking in the last week, I want to plant a seed that let's maybe try to get us back into the Old Testament a little bit. There is, and, 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 uh, and it's so, f- it's so rich because it's not that, we just we're going back to something that is uh, something less than, mm-hmm. because First uh, Timothy, uh, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter three, which all all scripture is uh, uh, breathed by God and useful for training in righteousness. All scripture and the the primary focal point of that exhortation would have been the Old Testament. Right. I do think by implication the New Testament is certainly. Uh, in view there, but uh, there are so many points of uh, of fortification and, and application that we get from the Old Testament that um, uh, one of the things that I'm teaching on this summer um, is a um, a class called uh, Elijah and Elisha and the Son of God. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, I, I want I, I want to hear what you have to say on that because I got I think I got a little something to add to. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, we're almost five minutes in, believe it or not already. And, okay. and one thing I want to do is uh, you've been on with me many times. You're my most frequent guest over the last 10 years, but I do pick up new listeners from time to time and, and uh, you know, old listeners drop off and stuff. And so let's talk a little bit about your ministry and, mm-hmm. and who's Ryan Habana. Oh, sure. Well, uh, <laughs> Uh, well, let's just do the Cliff Notes version. Uh, three, that's, yeah, that's yeah. just fine. Um, r- right now, I, I, I have a lot of people do note, and it's true that I have my irons in a lot of, a lot of, or a lot of irons in the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm an elder and, and preaching pastor at Conquering King Fellowship, and uh, that, of course, that's is. Nice. A, Southeast side of the of Twin Cities, Cities in Egan. Yep. Uh, and believe it or not, it's, it's, we're reaching nine years now and yeah. that's it. Um, it, it's a blink. It, it doesn't, it seems like we just planted the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so obviously a very large a chunk of my uh, devotion to ministry is, is there. Uh, but I also, um, uh, teach during the week, uh, at a place called Village Schools of the Bible, which is a local discipleship ministry where we do cover to cover studies. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, last year I, I taught, uh, f- four, four courses during the week and I'll be picking that up again this, this week, four courses each, uh, during the weekdays. And, and now this is, um, this isn't like a, a college. This isn't, this is, this is a standalone organization. It's a standalone, right. A standalone organization, educational ministry. However, you can get credit 
Sure, but the people that go to your classes are not. This Most isn't of them. A, this isn't seminary students. No. They're not college students. They're. Just laymen who want to right. learn more about the Bible. We do have some, actually, we are increasingly getting some seminary st- or uh, college students mm-hmm. uh, from Northwestern and from Crown because they're able to get credit. Sure. Um, but the vast but, majority but my of them, point is, if you're interested in a cover-to-cover, you can just take a cover-to-cover yes. with Ryan, and, and it, you don't need to you know, take no, exams you, to get into school no, and no, placement it, and whatnat. You just for, sign up and it's for disciples. It's for discipleship. It's a discipleship class. Yeah. Exactly. And I love teaching it because I learned it's something. rigorous though. I haven't taken it because it's, it is, it's, it's, it's more time. Yes. It's, it's, that I it's have tough. to give to it, but I'm blessed by teaching this over and over again because mm-hmm. I, new things are unearthed every, every year yep. as I go through it. So uh, another realm is uh, the Mount Moriah Foundation, which Andy, you're actually on the board of. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is, uh, is really dedicated to um, the, uh, the land of Israel, uh, bringing people to the land of Israel or bringing the land of Israel back to the people. Mm-hmm. And so we really look at ways to um, have people experience the amazing uh, journeys to the land of Israel to learn from the geography and the people and the past and the present and the future. And so uh, we, uh, one of the kind of our byline is um, bringing the promise of Abraham to the people of God. And that's kind of a double entendre because we look to um, bring the promise of Abraham, Christ, to the Jewish people. And so we do have ministerial goals in the land. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the promise of Abraham is uh, in Galatians 3. We you see it's for all believers. All believers are sons of Abraham and are heirs of the promise. And so understanding that and the inheritance, one of the key parts of the inheritance is the land. Mm-hmm. I will give you and your offspring this land forever. And so that's another sphere. And we just started another ministry. Uh, Before you leave Mount yes. Moriah and okay. the trips, um, the, the kind of the, the, the keystone to that organization is, is uh, currently biannual trips over to Israel. But they're getting to be so popular where we're giving some serious thought to do, making them annual. Yeah, we uh, this we, we've we're already filled for our 2020. So we've been going every other every year, even numbered year mm-hmm. since 2012 or yep. 10. Uh, yeah, right around there. 10 or 12. You've been yep. going every other year, every even numbered year. But you're you're already almost overfilled for a trip that's uh, still just shy of two years away. Yeah, and so we're looking at the possibility of starting to do it every year because of the demand for mm-hmm. our trips. And I, you know, I I'm not a you know bashful to to say our trips. I think seeing what other people do and and have done, um, no one can match our trips for both the uh, the teaching mm-hmm. as well as the um, the price and right. and just the experience of what we're able to to give people over yep. there and having been on my I, I vouch for that absolutely yeah and uh, I, so we're richly well, blessed part of, part of the reason why you're full already is because you keep them small and and that makes a very very rich trip um you, you're never going to go on to a second bus <laughs> yeah that's a rule uh, i will not you go on more than one bus because they're chasing if you've people. done these big tours with the guys who have big national radio shows and they've got six or eight buses and you got 300 people all getting shepherded from site to site. That's not our trip. Um, we're, we're much more intimate, a smaller group. 
um, flex. There's a, leaves a lot of flexibility. You're going to have time to see sites. You're not going to be shepherded in and told, you know, move along. The next group needs to be able to come through. Right. And uh, that's what people uh, just, uh, why, why we have so many people come back even. And we've got a, a really amazing guide we've been using. That's uh, a great, uh, a believer. Uh, he's ethnically Jewish. Yep. So he's, he lives in Israel. Uh, immigrated from New Zealand. So he's very, you know, English is his first language. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his name's Aaron, Aaron Lavarco. And, uh, I've, I've, I have other guides that actually have requested to start to wondering if they can guide my, my tour. <laughs> and I, 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 I'm, I'm apologetic. I'd love that to have that opportunity, but I tell people that Aaron's too popular. I said, everybody, uh, everybody that's coming is expecting Aaron. I need to have Aaron because mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's an attraction on, <laughs> on the tour. And mm-hmm. so, uh, and we've developed a great friendship over the last 10 years. Um, sure. and so, uh, it, it's, a, uh, it's, it's, it's exciting. Um, and so, um, so then you were leading into the next thing we're working on. We did a film last time I went on the trip. Uh, I went on the 2014 trip. Yeah. And we and actually, then, even when we did the film, we, we, uh, just as kind of a, a foresight, we, we said, uh, let's, let's put this under a production company, even though it's not actually, um, we, we don't have an individual company that this is, it was simply under Mount Mariah, uh, mm-hmm. called Zara films or Zara biblical films. And just with the development of how well the first one was received as well as the requests of some of the other things that we want to do with that film. And we've just started production on our second film, which is a, f- a follow-up. If you've seen the film, it's hard to do a sequel to the film as, as if we're going to you the know, next yeah. chapter, but it's a thematic sequel, we could say. Sure. And, um, and we've already started production on that, and we actually have actually uh, planted a nonprofit film production company that, um, and the film's called The Conquest, and uh, we're, we're, the ball's rolling already, and mm-hmm. I have a headache because <laughs> of how much goes into this, because we're really even looking to up our game um, to um, uh, to have the product, the production values of this film, we want to be in line with. If you would you know, open up uh, Netflix and watch it, or go in a, even into a theater, you're not feeling like, oh, this is something different. You're, it's right alongside mm-hmm. what, which isn't to diminish the first one we did. It, it no. was a fantastic. It with uh, what we production had value with. Right. And, uh, but we want, the thing is, is the content almost demands it because this is a bet. This is a movie because the conquest is about battles. Mm-hmm. And so we have, we have battles and scenes that we're going to have tens of thousands of soldiers in the scene. Mm-hmm. We can't do number one. We're not doing extras. So <laughs> and mm-hmm. no one does that anymore, usually. Um, but we are going to be, um, you know, in order to do that, we need to get the, so- the correct software and, and um, it's called crowd simulation software and, and also recruit and um, CG armies, as CG well. armies. Yep. Yep. And so we, uh, yeah, we're working, we're, we're already working that. And we were just talking before this, that we have a, a, a an on location film shoot here in Minnesota um, coming up in, uh, in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Lord willing, Andy and I are, are planning on traveling to uh, Israel um, to, to do on location shooting in, in Israel then if the Lord so wills. Yeah. So that's, uh, that is a cliff notes kind of, so, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, um, again, it's, it's a, a, a blessed busyness. Yeah. Yeah. So back to the old Testament, you were bringing up Elijah and Elisha 
Uh, yeah, well, I, one of the things, and then maybe we can jump into the topic at yeah, hand right yeah. after that, but Elijah and Elisha, uh, um, one of the reasons why I wanted to, first off, uh, the, uh, the, the New Testament has a lot to say about Elijah. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, the New Testament writers um, and people that are familiar with the New Testament that read it quite a bit, they run into Elijah quite a bit because Elijah actually shows up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Mm-hmm. Um, but Elisha is someone that not many people really know about. And the, and the, the ironic thing is Elisha was given a double portion of uh of elijah's mantle mm-hmm. and um and there are subtle things that are going on in the new testament that are deliberately being taken from elisha and so going into the gospel accounts there are things that happen in the gospel accounts if you're not familiar with the narratives with elisha you're not going to get the full force of what's going on in that text and so that again that's why the old testament is so rich now today we're going to look at um, yeah, uh, I just, I, I wanted right. to throw in that, um, Ryan's one of my favorite guests, but one of the things that comes with Ryan is Ryan brings a topic. And so <laughs> yeah. and that's, I enjoy that. you you always have a great topic. Um, and you're always, it's always something that you've been deep into study on. And, uh, it, it's, it, I always appreciate it cause it's going to be something that I wouldn't have thought of, but yet I really uh, benefit from it. I, I, I learn from it. And, and, uh, so that's, that's partly why I, I like to ask you back repeatedly is because you bring those topics that I never would have well, considered. It, it so actually what, gives me an opportunity to, 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 you know, you, you, you know, think of a topic and I have to think, well, what, would be, <laughs> what would be fruitful, you know, and I, mm-hmm. again, because of it, I, I really don't have, um, the, the time to prepare something brand new, um, it's a fruitful way for me to be able to articulate and share something that I've been working on right. over the last couple of years. And, that, and, and as far as uh, guests and topics go, that's what I want is somebody, you know, I don't want people to spend a week working full time coming up with material just for a show for me. You know, I don't want them doing all the work. I want something you've already done the work sure. on for whatever purpose, Sunday school teaching or, or, uh, you know, people who are in seminary, you know, people who already know it and teach it. And that's, um, that, so that's what I'm after. And I, I always appreciative when you've got something like that. So what is our topic this time around? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the, uh, the, the the feast of the Lord, um, in general, uh, we're going to look at, but in particular, we're going to uh, after kind of doing a little bit of a uh, a cursory survey of the feast, uh, we're going to zero in on Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur, otherwise known as the Day of Atonement, um, we're going to look um, at it from a prophetic perspective. And um, in order to do that, we need to do some preliminary work to prove why we can look at it from a prophetic perspective, because it's simply, a, it's a feast. It's something that the Lord laid down for the children of Israel to observe. Mm-hmm. But um, the truth is, is these uh, these feasts of the Lord uh, are 
prophetic patterns. And so um, I really want us to look at Yom Kippur because I think there's some really interesting connections as we look at the historical practice and then look at some of the explicit teachings that we have in the scriptures about what is going to happen at the end of the age and make some careful searches and inquiries as to perhaps this is how the ultimate Yom Kippur, the ultimate feast is going to occur. Mm -hmm. And I was just looking up as you were talking on uh, um, the archives, it's, I did do a show uh, it's been eight years when I, you know, we were talking beforehand, um, Nick, who's, uh, you're on my board and then Nick is my other board member for Echo Zoe Ministries. And, um, Nick is retired from podcasting, sadly. I won't, uh, he doesn't want to come back with me, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of the, one of the shows that he did with me was on the feast of the Lord. It was June of, uh, 2010. And so I, we've talked about this, but honestly it's been eight years. So I, I don't remember much of anything with that one. So I'm going to add that this is episode 123. So echoes away.com slash one, two, three for show notes. And that'll be in the, uh, related episodes down towards the bottom. But, uh, Yom Kippur, let's, um, so you brought up this prophetic pattern, uh, and, in in the feasts, let's talk a little bit about the prophetic pattern and and kind of set the table. Yeah, well, if we're looking at prophecy period, that's one of the things. There's there's a lot of different ways prophecy comes about in the scriptures. Uh, we have what we would call direct prophecy, where you get a statement like uh, in Micah that a ruler is going to come out of Bethlehem, and that would be something that we would consider just very direct prophecy. But so much of the of of scripture uh, likes to deal in the realm of pattern. And um, pattern, another uh, kind of subset of pattern would be typology. And you got to be careful with typology because uh, people have taken typology often and run with it. And sometimes with typology, there's there's no constraints Mm -hmm. and people can run off the deep end. Yeah. And taking it into a realm of allegory. So ultimately... When looking at typology, you ultimately have to let the patterns of Scripture uh, dictate. Now, uh, as we look at the feasts um, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, that is where the Lord gives the seven feasts of the Lord. And these are uh, the feasts that are the calendar. Uh, this is what the uh, the calendar of, of, of ancient and even modern uh, observant Jews um, uh, goes by. And uh, just they're divided up. We have spring feasts and we have fall feasts. And so your spring feasts, um, we have Passover, we have unleavened bread, we have first fruits, and then we have the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. Uh, and then when we get to the fall feasts, we have the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Yom Kippur, and then the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. And then there's an eighth feast, um, which is kind of born out of order, and that's Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. And Hanukkah isn't a... Leviticus 23 feast, but a lot of people, I think rightly so, uh, say that we can still consider this a biblical feast because we find it in John. Jesus mm-hmm. is in Jerusalem when during the Feast of Dedication. And so that came after the Maccabean Revolt. That's when um, 
uh, the it feast. It was in that intertestamental period. Intertestamental period with the, the Maccabee intervolt and Judas Maccabee. And um, so that's where Hanukkah came from. So that's kind of an eighth feast, but it's a, a, a born out of order. It's not out of uh, Leviticus 23. And so, okay, these are feasts, and they're the calendar, and this is something that the Lord instituted for uh, the children of Israel to observe. And they were at specific times um, that they were to observe them. Now, uh, when we get to the New Testament, what we find is the inspired New Testament authors declare that uh, in um, in subtle but powerful ways that these feasts of the Lord um, had prophetic significance. Now, let's look at those four feasts, because the, the reason why it's important to look at these uh, fe- spring feasts is because they ultimately present the pattern by which we might look at the fall feasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits all occur during what we would call Passover week. Yeah. Now, as we look at those three, unleavened bread, um, first fruits, and Passover, um, we know that when Jesus comes in to Jerusalem, uh, he is um, there, um, as we read in the latter parts of all of the Gospels, that he is there to fulfill. And he is, um, even as if we go before the beginning of the, uh, the actual feast itself, Passover, there's a day called Lamb Selection Day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Lamb. And that would be, that, would, that, would, that gets fulfilled in Palm Sunday. Yeah, well, we would call Palm Sunday, but it was uh, that was it wouldn't have been known as Palm Sunday back well, right, then. But right. we know it as Palm Sunday. We, it, that's it's, what we know it as. But it's it's Lamb Selection Day or the tenth of Nisan. Mm-hmm. And um, when we go back to the the story of the Exodus, this was commanded they they were to select a lamb and um, the bring the lamb into the house, and then they slaughter it on the fourteenth of Nisan. Um, and so. Um, we know Jesus. One of the things uh, that is associated with Christ is the the imagery of the Lamb mm-hmm. and the Lamb of God, and that actually stretches all the way back even before Passover was given, back to Genesis twenty two. But the um, this is the Lamb, the Lamb of God, and he is actually then crucified on Passover. So he actually comes in to the city. And he may have actually gone through the Sheep's Gate, which is where all the lambs would have been coming in because he was coming from the east to the... The Mount of Olives the, to, area. Yeah, over the Mount of Olives, which, by mm-hmm. the way, the Mount of Olives is going to be a a place of significance on Yom Kippur that we're going to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, so he comes over the Mount of Olives and he goes in and he is crucified. And in fact, in First uh, Corinthians, in the book of First Corinthians, Paul uses the... Uh, the imagery, not just for Passover, but for unleavened bread and first fruits, associating all of these feasts with the work of Christ. Christ is called our Passover. He's been sacrificed. And then in that same context, he, uh, he's, Paul says, let us uh, celebrate the feast, not with leaven, but with, with, with truly uh, being unleavened in sincerity and truth. And leaven is a symbol uh, for sin. And so you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which occurred after Passover, and then you have first fruits that occurred on the day of the resurrection. 
And Christ is called, within the context of resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ is called our first fruits. So we have this pattern in Passover week, which you have actually three distinct feasts um, in that week. Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Passover was when Jesus was crucified. We have the lamb imagery. Unleavened bread, this was when he was buried. This was the sacrifice that was without sin. And then first fruits is the first offering, the first offering of the harvest that is a down payment or a guarantee that the rest is going to follow. And so Paul uses all of these and things that's, uh, in his resurrection, in his resurrection. And Paul right. uses all of these things when he says the first fruits, Christ is the first fruits. Then we who are, um, are his at his coming, that's when we will be raised. Mm-hmm. And so th- right there, we have inspired words. And I've often wondered, was Paul teaching on the, the feast right before he wrote first Corinthians, because it obviously in some way was, was on his mind because he's weaving these things into the, uh, the teaching to the, the Corinthian church in first Corinthians. And so all three of those feasts are actually brought up in first Corinthians. Now we have the feast of weeks, which is um, the next feast. That's Pentecost. And that's Pentecost. And Pentecost is not a Christian holiday, at least it isn't originally. The, uh, Pentecost, a Penta, it was 50, 50, 50 days. days. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, or the Feast of Weeks, it was uh, seven, seven, weeks. seven weeks. So, um, of course, what happened then? That was the pouring out of the Spirit. And uh, time does not allow for us to really dig into all of these things and how we see the connections, but there's all sorts of connections to uh, the um, observance of the feast and what they were actually remembering at this time. One of the things that the Jews remember at the time of the Feast of Weeks is the giving of the law. And um, what happens in the fulfillment of that Pentecost, first off, uh, Jesus sets it up because when he ascends, he says, do not... um, he doesn't immediately say go. He says, go wait in the city until power from on high. And it was, we know it was only 10 days they were in the city because Jesus appeared to them for 40 days. And then mm-hmm. it was at Pentecost. Um, and that's why all of these people were there, because this is one of the pilgrim feasts. And uh, the, the giving of the law uh, was something that was being remembered. But now with this fulfillment, um, the spirit comes and part of the new covenant fulfillment was, I will write my law on their hearts. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit is is key. And there's all sorts of really interesting other things in regards to the observance of Pentecost that matches a lot of the theology that we see coming out of that amazing day when the Spirit is first poured out. And so looking at all these things, much more can be said, but what they do do is establish a pattern that these feasts have a prophetic foreshadowing. Now, we have, uh, from the get-go, we have an interesting, just from the macro uh, perspective, that we have spring and fall feasts, because we have the spring feasts, and then there's a delay till the fall harvest. Mm -hmm. And so, there, this... Uh, I think we can very well correspond to a fir- the first and second coming dynamics. The fall feasts, I believe, um, are going to have their fulfillment at the time of the second coming. Now, 
we look at the three main Leviticus 23 feasts. We have the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, then we have the Feast of uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And then we have the Feast of Tabernacles. And um, actually, the interesting thing about the Feast of Trumpets is it was actually considered uh, the feast when no man knows the day or hour when it's going to start. Because it was, it's the only feast that is on the first day of the month. And so how did they know it was the first day of the month? And it, they were on the lunar the cycle. Lunar calendar, yeah. So the, the, the rabbis um, and the scribes set up all these um, ways to, to try to see that, that, that new moon that mm-hmm. would herald. So there were actually, um, because the challenge was, what if there's a cloudy day? What if we mm-hmm. can't see the moon? And so there were actually um, watchers throughout the land at certain times of Israel's history that would set up torches. Um, and it would be a, uh, a, a torch from mountain to mountain lighting to herald that we've seen the new moon. Therefore, and um, other things go on with this, but <clears throat> you have a feast that it was known as a feast that no man knows the day or hour when it's going to start. Obviously, that's something that can connect to something that we know in the New Testament. No man knows the day or hour mm-hmm. when the coming of, of, of Christ. And so while that feast, while, while the pattern here Maybe kept. I, I don't think we want to get to the point where we're saying, okay, well, the 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 ra- the rapture or the the second coming can only happen on the feast of of trumpets because uh, Jesus very specifically said, no man knows the day or hour. And it's not about looking for a new moon. Jesus gave us other things to look for, and that's in Matthew chapter twenty four. Um, but the pattern is there, and the other thing that's there is when we see Jesus arrive. One of the things that we see is trumpets. There is a trumpet. We see that in um, Matthew 24. Um, when, when he comes, there's going to be a, a, a trumpet, and he's going to gather. There's going to be—also, um, we read that in First Thessalonians chapter 4. A trumpet sounds, and he gathers. And in First uh, Corinthians 15, what we just talked about, mm-hmm. um, at the last trump, last trumpet. And that trumpet there is a shofar. Um, which would be to gather or to go to war. I think both things are in, in view there. And so <clears throat> the the second coming is, and and we've talked about this before, the second coming, and you've had other guests I know on here, second coming is a complex event. It's a singular event, but it's complex, meaning it's not, when we talk about the second coming, we aren't just talking about uh, his immediate appearing, although that's part of it. Just like when we talk about his first coming, we, when we say his, during his first coming, we aren't just talking about his conception or his birth that encapsulates 30 33 plus, years, 33, yeah. Yeah, years or, or more. And so um, likewise with the second coming, it's going to be a complex series of events. And so the, again, the initiation stage is that Feast of Trumpets. And I, I, do think we retain um, because of the commands of the Lord that no one knows the day or hour. Um, but then we have the um, the next feast, which um, is on the tenth of the month, and um, this is Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. And so the next two feasts, Yom Kippur and Tabernacles, um, it is um, those are two back to back. We have. 
with Yom Kippur, it is Israel's most somber day, and it's actually commanded. They are to um, to fast, to mourn. Um, uh, this is a, it was to be a day of great mourning. Mm-hmm. And that's actually found in the command itself. And in fact, if one isn't, um, isn't mourning or fasting, they were called to be cut off from the people. This was to be a pattern of mourning. Um, and so that, um, that is part of the, the essence of, of the practice of the Day of Atonement. Then you have the, um, the feast right after that, which is the inversion. The, the Feast of Tabernacles is a feast of great rejoicing. Um, and so you go from a great low to a great, a great high. And uh, Tabernacles, um, there's some very interesting things uh, when, we, when we think of booths and dwelling, um, a lot of different theological concepts that we can see, um, we know that are going to come to pass. The Lord is going to dwell with his people. And as we look at these, uh, these fall feasts, um, certainly they have, uh, many of them, in fact, all of them have somewhat of a universal ramification. But Yom Kippur, I think in particular, is about um, what is going to be happening with Israel as a nation. And so Israel um, has been promised uh, a, uh, a day of national salvation. And this is something that is promised throughout the prophets. Uh, you cannot read throughout the prophets without running into a promise that the Lord is going to uh, restore Israel, not only the land, but of, of course, the, the people. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, really what's going to be a first order is the people um, are going to need to um, be saved. And uh, this uh, this has a, a national um, uh, point. It, it, it isn't just all, all Israel throughout, um, throughout history, although that's certainly true, that um, God has saved a remnant out of Israel um, throughout history. And it, it, some have taken Romans 11 to just speak of that. Mm-hmm. But um, all Israel being saved, I believe, is speaking ultimately of the time when the Lord is going to make Israel a truly holy nation in the future. And um, there are so many things that we could uh, study and look at as a uh, a preamble to what we're going to look at with the Day of Atonement. Uh, in particular, uh, we think of Daniel and the 70-week the prophetic timetable. And um, so where, to, where does that fit in? Uh, where does Yom Kippur fit in with that? Well, and that's why, um, yeah, that's kind of why I brought it up. There's, a, um, I believe Yom Kippur is going to happen at the very end of the 70th week. Okay. Because at that time, the 70-week the, the prophetic timetable, remembering when that it was given, Daniel was praying for his people in the city. Mm-hmm. We're in exile. And what's going to happen to us? And he, the Lord heard. Um, but there were 77s and, uh, you know, that's a big study in and of itself. But ultimately my perspective is we have 69 sevens that have passed mm-hmm. and, um, we are likely in the gap right now. I, the reason I say likely is we never know, we for, never certain know for certain until we're halfway when, through it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but we're like, we're likely in the gap, but, um, now, I just probably worth mentioning that. This is a this is definitely an eschatological discussion, but we're not trying to get 
overly focused on our particular eschatological point of view. Right. In this discussion. And we are, you and I are both pre-millennial, pre-wrath, but that really is minor to this discussion. Right. uh, You could could look at a lot of these things that we're going to be looking at here through another eschatological perspective or paradigm. Mm -hmm. But what I find interesting is how wonderful everything lines up here where you get to the end of the 70th week. But there's no reason somebody, I mean, I I have listeners who are all millennial. There's Mm -hmm. no reason somebody who's all millennial wouldn't just, just tune us out and say, yeah, it's not my view. Well, here you'll hear it out because the thing is, is that we know Christ is coming again, and 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 and, 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 and an millennialist will the, the agree with that. millennial view does agree that Christ is coming back. They're right, just, we just differ on. And there are millennialists that, that may even uh, you know, uh, there millennial is not monolithic. You have just like right. premillennialism mm-hmm. isn't monolithic. So, uh, there um, the, the 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 views on how these things correspond. Um, you know, again, I, I would encourage if you have our millennial listeners is to yeah, hear this out because there's some very fascinating biblical connections that we find within the scriptures and mm-hmm. pattern. And so now the 70th week, when we get to the end of the 70th week, I believe that's when all Israel is saved. And because um, those things have to pass, this was the exile. They... Um, how long uh, was that's what Daniel was 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 praying about, and um, ultimately it was good news and bad news. The Lord is going to fulfill His promises to the uh, the offspring of Abraham in many different ways, but including the ethnic um, uh, offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is going to save them, and uh, mm-hmm. and He's going to save the nation. He's going to purge the nation, and this is going to be through. Um, both wrath and salvation. He's going to bring wrath upon Israel, but he's uh, also going to bring great salvation. Mm-hmm. And um, when we get to the end of the 70th week, it is my conviction that there will be no more unbelieving Israelites. And all Israel at this time, at the Day of Atonement, this is the time when all Israel... But ultimately, you get to the end, there aren't any unbelieving Gentiles left either. Right, <laughs> right. Well... Yeah, there's there's all sorts of interesting <laughs> dynamics we can look in the millennium with the sheep and goats judgment. And then, of course, as we get to the uh, end of the millennium, sure. but um, but yeah, we we get to the uh, this uh, this is premillennial uh, at this point, and so it, Israel as a nation is going to be saved. And I believe that this is the time when Israel as a nation is going to be transferred from the old covenant to the new covenant. Um, the, the old covenant, uh, very interesting thing to study is regards to, um, the, how the old covenant, if at all, if it continues, because in, in one sense, we can look at it from a new covenant perspective. We've been transferred. We no longer are under the old covenant. We, we have been, um, we've been grafted into the new covenant promised in Jeremiah 31. And so I'm very much a new firm, new covenant theologian. I believe that the, 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 um, the church, which means Jew and Gentile right now, um, are grafted into the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, um, we are full standing members of the new covenant. And this is what we read in Hebrews. Um, and Paul also speaks of this in second Corinthians. And so this is when Israel as a nation is going to be transferred. Now, the old covenant was made with Israel. And 
I do think there are elements of the old covenant that are continuing, and but they basically have to do with the curse, the curses that were promised in Deuteronomy 28. And so the only way Israel as a nation is going to be able to get out of the curses that we read of in Deuteronomy 28, which is something that uh, is, is their history, sadly. Uh, and we pray for Israel's salvation, and we, uh, we look to love them. Uh, mm-hmm. with a special love. But we eagerly look forward to this day, which is this is what the day Paul talked about in Romans 11, when um, all Israel is saved. And um, even in that text, it says the deliverer will come from Zion. And there's a, a tweak on that text, which the inspired author does, because um, uh, he's coming from Zion. And this is going to, that's a good way to segue into how we can look at a possible future. And again, these are things where we're, you know, again, I, I, I can't dogmatically say that this for sure is going to occur like this um, or whether this is specifically related to the fulfillment of Yom Kippur, but um, the evidence lines up quite well. And so let's first um, look at now centering in on Yom Kippur. Let's mm-hmm. look at the um, the historical um, not only the command, but how it developed over the um, over the centuries as Israel practiced Yom Kippur. And so let's go back to Leviticus chapter 16. Now, there's actually a, uh, a full chapter dedicated to the Day of Atonement. And this is before um, uh, we read it in Leviticus chapter 23. And what we find is um, Aaron at this time... He is to take two goats, and uh, let's just actually read um, verses 6 through 10. We see Aaron, who was functioning as the high priest at this time, says, shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. So, um... There's two goats here, and one is to go to be sacrificed and presented in the Holy of Holies. And the way this was done throughout history, while the Ark of the Covenant was still um, in the whole, uh, the most holy place, is they would take the, the blood of this goat for the Lord and um, sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And thus this was... A, a pattern by which the Lord would um, would bring atonement to the house of Israel. Now, one thing to consider here is we, we, we see that Christ is ultimately the, the focal point of prophecy and the focal point of the feast. We saw that he's the Passover lamb. And uh, one thing we need to understand here is it's not that when we're looking forward to the future, 
Um, Christ is not going to offer himself up again. That's, mm-hmm. that's accomplished. Um, and so that was accomplished at Passover. So um, the, the blood of the atonement, that which is going to provide atonement for Israel, is what was forged at, on the cross of Calvary. And so, again, that's where we, in typology, we, as we look at these things, we always need to be controlled by the clear teachings of Scripture. But what's interesting is we see two things going on here. We have a goat that goes in to uh, the um, Holy of Holies, or to the at this point, the tabernacle. But then there's another goat, and this is where the very, we, we, this is where we get the term scapegoat from. Mm-hmm. The sins of Israel are actually placed on this goat as well and he is he is sent out into the wilderness and uh, interestingly we have this uh Azazel and this is going to provide an interesting connection to another passage we're going to look at but there's debate as to what this Azazel is um it could be just a, a, a um saying the 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 goat is to go out to this place, and, and, and it's, a, it's another name for where the goat goes to, out in the wilderness. And that's the one I, actually I prefer, but there's another, which is, it isn't outside the realm of possibility. Azel, Azazel was actually a name of a, a demon, um, and it was actually quite well known in the intertestamental period, um, something that we actually read of in some of the intertestamental books. And so um, others see this as... As, as that. And even if that's the, the truth, um, which a, a case can be made for it, I, I, I think it's a little, uh, the pattern is a little more compelling that this is speaking of a, a, a general place to where the, the goat goes. Um, nevertheless, it's, we know it's to go out into the wilderness. And so we have this pattern where one goat goes to the casting of lots, one goat is sacrificed and goes into the the house of the Lord and is sprinkled, uh, his blood is sprinkled, and one goes out into the wilderness. Now, this, what we're reading here is at the time of the tabernacle. Now, things change in biblical history because we go from the tabernacle to a permanent, well, a a quote-unquote permanent house, something mm-hmm. that has a foundation, not some not something that is movable. Right. And uh, that happened during the days of David and Solomon. David brought the ark up to Jerusalem. We read of that in uh, in Second Samuel. David wants to build a house for the Lord, and the Lord says, um, uh, "I'm going to build a house for you. Your son is going to build a house for me." And so uh, Solomon builds the temple. Now with the temple. We have um, a an advancement in uh, in in biblical history, and so we actually have um, records of uh, and testimonies of how after they got to the temple, how tradition developed into how they would be uh, practicing the Day of Atonement here, because now they're at the temple. And so what they would do is the uh, the priests would go out to the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is where the lots were cast for the two goats. And the, the, the lot that was cast for the goat to the Lord would go then from the, mount, the top of the Mount of Olives. They would, it would go um, westward into the temple, and that's where it would be 
um, put to death. The other goat, the scapegoat, would go out to the east. And so it would go down, and we don't know how far it would go down. Sure. Um, but kind of in the direction of the Dead Sea. In the direction of the Dead Sea. And, um, and uh, that there's conflicting reports as to whether, you know, and, and again, it might have been diff- at different times they practiced it differently, but that's again where that goat would go out to. And so that's how it was practiced. Now, you take all of these things. And you compare them to a text that we find in uh, the another book of the Old Testament, and that is in the book of Zechariah. And so if we turn to uh, Zechariah chapter 12, um, we read that um, something's going to happen um, where Israel is going to be saved. Now, this is very clearly the the elements here speak of a, a future coming. And chapter 12 and chapter 14 are key with specific historical details that haven't happened yet. Now, 13 is um, in the middle, which speaks of Israel's purification, which will come through both judgment and uh, salvation. There will be idolaters will be judged. And um, there will be a great salvation. The Lord is going to pour out his spirit. And thus, again, through the destruction of the ungodly and God pouring out his spirit on a great number, that is how we're going to get to that point where all Israel is saved. Now, um, I would encourage the listener to read um, to read both Zechariah 12 through 14 and, and just kind of uh, drink in some of these passages because we're going to be only be able to look at a few of them. Mm-hmm. But... Um, we see that, uh, let's just read, let's start with verse 7 of chapter uh, chapter 12. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day will be like David and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord, that's Malachi Yahweh, going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. So we see that this is where the Lord is protecting the inhabitants of Jerusalem and salvation is being granted to the tents of Judah and the house of David. And so the language there is speaking of those that are in Jerusalem uh, and its region. And now we get in verse uh, verse 10, um, which is very significant because... Um, not only do we have language that speaks of Israel entering into the new covenant, but we have things that would well connect to the pattern of Yom Kippur, what we know of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur was a day of fasting, a great morning. Verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the morning in Jerusalem will be as great as the morning for Hadad Rimmon in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn each family by itself. And then we go on to read um, the description of the realms of those in the city who um, will... Um, will mourn. And now, again, notice that this is a mourning that is based on the pouring out of a spirit of grace. 
And at the beginning of chapter 13, verse 1, we read, On that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. So this is a day of cleansing, a day of atonement. And they're looking on the one whom they pierced. Now, we know from John that this is speaking of Christ. Because at the cross, John notes that... Um, uh, his piercing on the cross was in order for this to be fulfilled. And so this being something in the future, his piercing took place um, on the cross during the Passover. So we have this, um, this day coming. And uh, this is uh, spoken of in the, in the realm of the second coming. Now, when we get to chapter 14, which, by the way, is still part of the same um, general theme. Yep. Um, we have language that speaks of not only Jerusalem's coming fall, because Jerusalem is going to fall again. Um, but then we read in verse three, the Lord is going to go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And then verse four, on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the uh, to the west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount will move northward and one half southward. So there we have the Mount of Olives, interestingly. And pattern here first this look we can we can look back to the spring feast because lamb selection day he went over the mount of olives and he went in and remember what happened in the wake he says jerusalem jerusalem how i long to gather you as a hen gathered or brood but you were not willing and he says i i leave your house desolate you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord and so uh i think this is the time when he is coming into Jerusalem and he's, they're going to look on him whom they've pierced. And rather than him being rejected, as we saw in uh, the time of the fulfillment of the Passover, uh, which must, which had to take place because this was the foreordained plan and foreknowledge of God that brought that about. We read of that in, in Acts. Um, now this is the time when he is coming in and, um, not only is he going to split the Mount of Olives, but the splitting the Mount of Olives is for an evacuation. As we read on, he says, And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azel, and there you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. So here's the interesting thing. We have this term Azel, which is very close linguistically to Azazel. And so you have all of these um, points that are echoing. And so if they're fleeing the, from Jerusalem through the Mount of Olives, we know they're going where? They're going east. And so I think that the... Uh, the eastward journey here, um, the very good case can be made. This is, this is as the spring feasts were fulfilled by Christ and his workings in and around Jerusalem. This here is a fall feast that the Lord is going to fulfill. And I think what's going on here in both Zechariah chapter 12 and Zechariah 14, we have mourning. 
mm-hmm. great morning. Mm-hmm. Um, we have atonement going on because he's. Uh, we have being uh, cleansing going on. They are entering into um, a a relationship, uh, an eternal relationship with their king, and it is one of mourning at this point because uh, of repentance, uh, and it's a national mourning. And they are going to be protected by the Lord. They uh, at, at this time, I believe, they will be saying, "Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord," and he is going to um, be that fulfillment where he is the one who has already given his blood for perfect fulfillment. And so he's going to go into the house and then lead a charge out of. Uh, Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem is going to be uh, judged, um, and um, he's going to protect them. Now they go out to Azel, and again, that pattern is the um, the scapegoat. Israel's sins have been removed, and now uh, the removing of Israel's sin, um, he is taking them out east somewhere. Now, I think it's a good possibility that the Lord is going to take them across the Jordan because they're out back out in the quote unquote wilderness at that time. Mm-hmm. And that's where they're going to celebrate the feast of tabernacles, the ultimate feast of tabernacles um, because they're remembering um, that they were slaves and now they're free. And then the, again, pattern here, the greater Joshua Yeshua is going to lead his people across the Jordan into the land after it has been uh, renewed. So pattern here, again, things line up very well. Mm -hmm. And not only just with what we know about it, but even just some of the historical practices that it was on the Mount of Olives that the lots were cast and the skate, one of the sacrificial goats would go in and the other would um, go out to Azel and both were considered, you know, the means of atonement for Israel. And ultimately Christ is that one who has already sacrificed and then is in his life um, really leading them into um, glory, into uh being eternally clean in him because the law is only a shadow Mm -hmm. of what, and that's what these things are. The law was a shadow. They were, it's a pattern. It, it, it was pointing forward to the greater things to come. And so there, I'm sure there's tons of things we're missing. I'm sure there's tons of things that we could go into more, but, um, historically, I think, again, this is uh, a very good case can be made that this, uh, we know what 12 and 14 is going to happen. Okay. We know that's going to happen. I, but I also think a very good case can be made that this is going to be the fulfillment of the fall feasts uh, of Yom Kippur. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff. Now I, I got a question for you in that when we saw the fulfillment of the spring feasts, they played out on the day of the feast, right? Do you, are you of the mind that that would likely happen with the fall feasts as well? Do you see, I I think uh, there's a couple problems, well, a couple questions that we could bring up with it, because one of the questions is, is um, over the last 2000 years, how have our calendars, you know, drifted, drifted at all, you know, and, and so you have that question. Um, We still have spring and fall. But we still have spring and fall. Right, right. So what I would say, I I think. I mean, and really in God's providence, it, it, it could well work out that. 
it happens on a year where they realign. That's why I would say, yeah, I, I think it is going to happen on these dates. The only one that is the wild card that I say is unlikely is the Feast of Trumpets. Mm-hmm. And again, I, that would go back to the pattern of it being no, you know, no day or hour, no day yeah. or hour. And so yeah. that pattern would find it. Uh, but um, trumpets, tabard, because the thing is, is if the Lord takes saved Israel out of the city and even out of the land and he's going to dwell with them and there's going to be this again, remember, they go from because that's a day tabernacles is a day of great celebration. And so now they're celebrating with their king. And um, we as, as um, whether you're a Jew or Gentile believer right now, we're, we're, we're not going to be part of that group coming out if you're a believer now because we're going to be raised mm-hmm. and hopefully observing these things and rejoicing in them. But uh, this is the uh, group that is um, are still mortal. And we'll, at this time, we, I believe, from my eschatological paradigm with we are already raised at this time and in our eternal bodies um but then there's this feast of tabernacles dwelling with their king and uh the word was made flesh and he is dwelling among them and so right after that I, again it's just a, uh, i think it's five days after it so they mourn and then mm-hmm. they rejoice and um then you have Hanukkah, and here's here's a really interesting thing about Hanukkah. Hanukkah remembers the celebration of the defeat of Antiochus Epiphanes, um, a man who many people, and uh, I think, of course, uh, it, it kind of goes without saying, he's a, a forerunner, a foreshadow of the Antichrist, mm-hmm. because he sacks Jerusalem and he, and he desecrates the temple. He slaughters a pig on the temple, and this became known as an abomination of desolation. Mm-hmm. And um, again, he was pushed back, and um, the Greeks were pushed out, and then they rededicated the temple, and there were, again, a fe- it's called the Feast of Dedication or Feast of Lights, even. And so Hanukkah... In um, in the calendar, Hanukkah is um, is is seventy five days after the um, uh, Yom Kippur. Yeah, seventy five days after Yom Kippur, and um, and that's just it's still celebrated seventy five days after Yom Kippur. Um, in Daniel chapter twelve, um, there's a there's a, a mysterious th- uh, um, text, and I believe it's verse eleven. It says, uh, "Blessed is he who reaches to the thirteen hundred and thirty five days." Now that's an addition of um, so we have thirteen hundred and thirty five days. That's an addition to we have twelve hundred ninety days. There's that addition, We're which is thirty seven seven three hundred sixty day years. Yeah, twelve hundred so sixty days. Then we have an extension of thirty days after that, which is ble- uh, the, the abomination of desolation. There'll be twelve hundred ninety days, and then blessed is he who reaches the thirteen hundred thirty five days. That's forty five days beyond beyond. Yep, yeah, beyond the twelve. Um, the 1290. Okay. And so but then the 30 and the 45 is 75, 75, which is your Hanukkah, which would be from the end of the 70th week to mm. that, which would be blessed is the one who reaches that day. 
And that's the celebration. Uh, it might be the celebration of all that have. Sure, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, that have overcome the beast. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, when we get to that point, uh, everyone who has worshipped the beast is either dead or thrown into the lake of fire, including the beast himself. Mm-hmm. And so that might be the dedication of the new land, the new city. And so. Um, pattern it's interesting yeah. again i it's 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 something that is a possibility I, I look at that and i say can that be an accident and mm-hmm. uh, again we can't prove it but yeah and it's almost worth maybe doing a show someday just on hanukkah and that uh you know it's not a levitical feast right you know it's it it, it comes out of that intertestamental period but yet Jesus celebrated it. Jesus recognized it. He was there. It as well. He recognized and so, it. And it's something even in embedded into Jewish culture today. Hanukkah is very much mm-hmm. a, a a feast that is, you know, still alive. Uh, you know, to, well, let's see here. Yeah, 21, over 2,100 years after all of these things took place. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the fall feasts are fascinating studies. And ultimately, we have to wait until uh, the Lord brings his sovereign wisdom of of in sovereign machinations of history uh we'll wait and see how these things sh- uh shake down but it's fascinating to see uh these things in the scriptures and and through so many different authors and so many different times that this can't be an accident this mm-hmm. uh, it's it just the the fingerprints of the holy spirit the inspiration of the holy spirit really i think are here and so um you know with humility we look at these things knowing that uh we could be Looking at things that are reading a little too far into things, some yeah, in some we, ways, we, but, we, yeah. we 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 certainly um, want to guard against that, and which is why you you want to look at these things with humility. But ultimately, there's some things that there are very strong connections that, um, and again, I, there's nothing. One's you know salvation isn't hinging on uh, understanding exactly how these things are going to play out, but certainly our faith can be fortified. By looking at these things and saying the same one who has ordered all history um, uh, is ordered ordered our lives, and we're held in the grip of His grace if we're believers in His Son. Well, thank you. As I said, yeah, I'm never disappointed when uh, when I just turn it over and see what 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 do you have for a topic? Yeah, it's I I it's, like doing it. I'm, I, and yeah, I, I would encourage listeners too. As uh, this is a fascinating area of study, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of even stones that I don't I'm sure haven't been uh, uh, you know yeah. uh, over uh, un, you know un, unturned. We don't you know I mean or haven't been overturned and, and sure. looked at here. So yeah. well, I know one of the first things I want to do following this is is like I said, it's been eight years. I want to go back and and listen again. What did Nick and I talk about eight years ago? And I'll put that in again. Uh, Echozoe.com slash one twenty three is this episode show notes i'll put it in related episodes usually down towards the bottom of the posting but uh. yeah and actually one thing that we can um just to kind of uh wrap it up remember we mm-hmm. looked at that uh, the deliverer will come from zion mm-hmm. and you know it's a twist on that the deliverer will come to zion is actually the original text but paul says the original the deliverer will come from zion and say well which is it well it's both mm-hmm. as we look at that it says this is my covenant with them when i take away their sins that's new covenant language taken directly from Jeremiah 31. And thus we have the deliverer is going to come to and from Zion. Mm-hmm. And that's what we read of in Zechariah 14. And that's what, again, when all Israel is saved. So again, Yom Kippur, the ultimate day of atonement for the nation of Israel. Um, it, it seems likely that the Lord is orchestrating such things in regards to the fall feasts. Mm-hmm. 
Awesome. Well, thanks, Ryan. You bet. Good to be here again. Yeah. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 123. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com slash 123. Be sure to check out the website also for links to connect to Echo Zoe on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook and love to connect with you. So follow and like Echo Zoe Ministries. Help us get the word out too by sharing or retweeting the announcements for your favorite episodes. It helps to not only introduce new people to the show, uh, it also gives me an indication of which episodes people really enjoy the most. And also, as I mentioned at the close of last month's episode, we're very close to meeting our fundraising goal for 2018 expenditures. Please consider helping out Echozoe Ministries financially and push us over that last $100 towards our fundraising goal for 2018. And with that, Lord willing, we'll be back next month for the August episode of Echozoe Radio. Radio.